Do you own or rent? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Building policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading and largest woman-owned and woman-led advertising communications firm in Southern California. At Frazier, we specialize in changing behaviors and growing brands, working heavily on health subjects, as well as helping people make positive selections in the private sector for Lexus, Hyundai, and other clients. But on the show, The Deciders, we feature influencers, change agents, and subject matter experts, asking them to share their stories, reveal how data is used with an emphasis on understanding trends and factors that will influence our businesses as we grow them in this difficult time with COVID-19. Let's turn to the election polling that's come under scrutiny. This is a particular interest in my business and the advertising and marketing business. We often do quantitative polls to determine people's proclivity to buy a certain product or to engage in a certain behavior. And there truly is a science to polling and market research. But the uh, polling that was done prior to the current election in 2020 has come under quite a bit of scrutiny and questions about accuracy. The polls did predict a Biden win, but the margins were different uh, when it finally materialized. So one might ask the question, uh, is political polling becoming more accurate or how does it become more accurate? I will say in 48 of the 50 states, they did call it correctly. And we'll be talking with, uh, with our expert about this. Our guest today is Jeff Horwick, Senior Vice President at Heart Research Associates in Washington, D.C. They conduct national surveys for NBC News and the Wall Street Journal to determine Americans' opinions about current social, economic, and political issues. As we look at the political poll predictions in 2020 and look back now, Jeff, why were the polls as far off as they were? And what are some of the factors that contributed to this situation? Uh, well, Dr. Frazier, thank you again for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. And you know, I think for a number of reasons, this election was a very 2020 election uh, where uh, I think, uh, you know, nothing sort of turned out the way that anyone really was expecting it to. Uh, and from uh, a partisan view, maybe how people wanted it to turn out. And one of the unsatisfying things about this, and again, this has been a deeply unsatisfying year uh, politically for, and in other ways for everyone, is that we need to really dig in and, and wait a little bit to make sure that we understand what really happened. And so uh, one of the keys there is that obviously we remember where we were on election night as the results came in. 
And the results have changed. In fact, there are a lot of candidates who were losing on election night, including uh, President-elect Biden, who is now winning uh, by four points, uh, close to four points, could be five points when we're all said and done. Uh, and the other is, so that's part of the way. And the other part of the way is to understand how the electorate was different from what a lot of pollsters were projecting it to be, is we need to see when the state voter files are uh, are updated with vote history from this election to really understand this is what the electorate looked like. Uh, and that will tell us our models, our, uh, you know, our share of the demographics of the electorate, how compared to the actual reality. And the last thing I'll, I'll say here on that is, unlike the market research work that we, that we do or a lot of our public policy work, where you know what the universe of your respondents is going in, you know you're surveying adults or consumers of a certain project, uh, political polling is one of these unique circumstances where you don't know what the electorate looks like until they actually vote. And so that is one of the, the real challenges with what we do and why that there, you know, there are some differences in any election uh, between uh, what the result was and what uh, what polls may have been showing before the, before the election took place. Now, that's a good point. You really have to uh, anticipate who the voters will be. And until you have the voter files, you can't correct the sample, if you will, or, or understand maybe what the pattern was. But I want to ask how you were able to measure uh, mail-in ballots versus show up at the uh, at the uh, at the poll. Obviously, you asked people that when you were doing your polling, what they intended to do. But could that have been a factor in some way? It, it could have been. It's something we want to look at as self-reported versus actual voting. I think. One of the other things we really want to understand, and this is really a theory until we can get the, vo- the voter files updated, is uh, what was the actual share of first-time voters, people who hadn't voted before, or people who hadn't voted in 2016, and then knowing what proportion they were of the electorate, what did those voters look like demographically? Uh, because one of the um, one, one of the things that the Trump campaign had been uh, had been really focused on in 2016 and also in 2020 was turning out these infrequent or non-voters historically who were their supporters. And so there is uh, something we want to understand is, uh, did they, particularly in key states that really mattered, were they more successful or more focused in those areas? And, uh, you know, were those people represented in our polls? And I say sure. that because those are people who are very hard to reach by campaigns. They're traditionally non-voters. And so if they're hard to reach by campaigns and to engage, they're also harder, the reality is, to get into uh, to get into surveys. Right. So it's difficult to get some people to even answer a survey, which is part of the problem. And just to restate your point, new people voted that hadn't necessarily been voters in the past. And we saw that a dramatic increase of, you know, which is a testament to democracy, I think, and the desire for people to have their voices heard, even in the times of COVID uh, and the uncertainty about health that might have been in some people's minds. Uh, But how about the sampling, you know, cell phones versus online, um, people refusing to participate? uh, How do do you circumvent that? How do you how do you manage that in the process of polling? Right. So in our in our work, we do um, call both landline and cell phones, but half of our or in some places more of our, our our interviews are conducted by cell phone. And so we do make an effort an effort there and we really pay attention to 
the voter file, the demographics, and also the partisanship on a voter file to make sure that we're surveying uh, the right proportions of people based on their profile. For example, in California, which is a, a vote by party, a registration by party rather state, we really are focused on you know getting the right proportion of Democrats, Republicans, those who are independents that climb the state. Uh, in our samples. So, and we're also paying attention when we get refusals or we don't reach numbers, we want to make sure that we're not, those aren't skewed one way or another, which would be a sign that we are somehow missing uh, a portion of the electorate. So these are all challenges and things that we are really focused on and and uh, we'll continue, you need to be, continue to be focused on when, the, when these voter files are updated over, some are already started to be updated and over the next couple of months. It'll be interesting to, as you kind of dissect what happened to understand it, uh, I wonder, are political polls more difficult and problematic when there's so much divisiveness? Does that add a whole nother variable? Sure, it does. And, you know, we have, you know, record high turnout, whether it's the highest in 80 years or whatever, whatever this, the number ends up being, which again, these votes are still being counted. But when you add in 30 plus some million people from one election to the other, in such a partisan environment, sure, that creates um, a lot of challenges here to know what the composition is going to be or what you think the composition is going to be uh, and understanding that this is not like an election uh, with a vote by mail versus in person that we've, that we've ever experienced. And mm-hmm. so knowing how that was gonna play out was, was certainly an added challenge to uh, what we were trying to, to measure as accurately as we could in this election. Do you think there's ever a, uh, a segment or there could be a segment encouraged to deliberately lie to pollsters? So I know there's been talk of something like a shy Trump voter or someone who, you know, does. I, we have not found that to be a, a theory that has carried a lot of, of, of weight. And, um, you know, I, I do think that there is, again, what I, we do want to understand more of is that, this idea of people who we were not, for whatever reason, not able to reach at the correct proportions to how they actually voted uh, in our in in real life, and so that's where I think there may be a a shy Trump voter who we were not able to contact at all in our samples, rather than someone who, whether it was for you know social norms or something else, or or just wanted to create problems for pollsters. I don't think that 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 is a real um, uh, significant um, uh, issue. Well, that's good to know. I think, you know, we want to make sure that people are are giving you honest information and and their real opinion. Is this going to impact the way you poll in Georgia as we go to the runoff there? Well, I think, again, I think that whenever there's an election, it's a great test for individual polls and for the, and for holsters at large. And so I think you do need to take a look and say, how, how did we do? Uh, it's not just measured on that one number, whether a trial heat number, but also did you capture the mood of the electorate well? Did you understand what the election was about in terms of issues, in terms of the agenda? in terms of what messages resonated. Those are all things that are that are calculated there. And I think these are all things, one of the good things is that actually Georgia updates their voter file sooner than others. So mm-hmm. we'll be able to get a, you know, a, a, a read there on Georgia. And I think there are already some adjustments being, you know, considerations of adjustments being made. I think people are being very mindful of what just happened and how that may play out in Georgia. That being said, these runoffs are will be totally different. 
than what we just saw. And so I think there are some clues from the polling and also clues from the election results uh, that tell us some things. But to know um, what will play out over the next six weeks or so, uh, whether it's related to COVID-19 and its impact, whether it's related to calls of voter, um, you know, unproven calls about voter fraud and those sorts of things, how that will impact the electorate one way or another, we don't know. Do you have a sense of where, what would you say, uh, and and based on your data and your experience, what do you think will happen in Georgia? Well, I think, look, just what we saw in, uh, you know, in the results here was a very thin margin uh, of victory for Joe Biden in Georgia, uh, for the Democrats, and then a very thin margin of difference between uh, Joe Biden's share of the vote and uh, John Ossoff's share of the vote, the Democratic candidate. Uh, it, it, the other runoff was was more, more difficult to project because there were so many candidates. So focused on that, uh, you know, there there is, it's really across the board that we're also, there is a sort of a, you know, one to 2% difference, which, you know, which very well could make a difference in an election if the same electorate turns out, where he needs to uh, capture those Biden non-ASA voters and appeal to them. And I think, look, the stakes are much different now because this is really uh, the, you know, the, the, the Senate, uh, who's going to control the Senate. And if you are a Biden voter and you you want to see the Biden agenda move forward, getting the economy going, in a smart way, uh, you know, then he needs a Senate that can work with him. And what Mitch McConnell proved over the eight years of the Obama presidency was that, uh, you know, he was not going to be that person. And so I think that's the case. He could stall the president's actions, right? He showed that to all of us. That's right. Absolutely. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I I, I, obviously an enormous amount of money is being uh, Use in the marketing and advertising messaging in in Georgia uh, to promote both sides. So that also uh, complicates the uh, the issue. Uh, but I see what you're saying. Biden's uh, had very very narrow margins, so it uh, it may be bad news. Uh, it's interesting how it's come down to Georgia. Uh, could you comment on the changes that have occurred in Georgia as well? It was used to be a very strong Republican state. Yeah, no, I think, look, I, you could say bad news. What we don't, again, we, we know, we or we will know very soon what the composition of the electorate was for the November election. We don't and won't know what the composition of the electorate is going to be for the January runoffs. And that's the... There is going to be a lot of money. This is going to be a fascinating political science experiment uh, for everyone to follow here. We don't know. Both parties are going to be trying to change the electorate. That's how you that's how you win here. Um, and so, you know, there's been there have been a lot of mobilization efforts for both. And despite the record high turnout, we do know that there are a lot of voters who still didn't vote. And so there is an ability now to go back to a lot of these these voters, people who aren't normally contacted in an election, uh, and to, to change that. And look, what's happened in Georgia, uh, the reason it's become so competitive are a couple of things, and that's and it's true not just in Georgia, but in uh, in, in a lot of other states, is that uh, there's been both um, you know fo- focus on mobilizing black voters. Uh, uh, but then at the same time, uh, suburban voters have really right. 
shifted. Yeah. And again, this is not unique um, to Georgia, but in places like Cobb County or, or Gwinnett, uh, these were places where normally re- Republicans do uh, do well. And these are places where both Biden and Ossoff were were ahead. And so this is the suburbs of Northern Virginia, the suburbs of, uh, uh, outside of Chicago. You look at the Colorado area. Uh, these are all this similar phenomena has taken place over the over the Trump years, in particular, where these sub, suburban voters are moving away because, to, to, from the Republican Party uh, more to to Democrats. Yes, I think you've seen an influx of people moving into Georgia for jobs and opportunities, and they may be more progressive in or centrist in their perspective, or certainly Democrats. So that's changed the mix. It'd be interesting to watch the changes occur as we move into the Biden presidency. Uh, I'd like to switch and talk more now about polling itself for other purposes. I mentioned market research. We talked a little bit about that. My firm is doing... Uh, messaging for uh, COVID-19 to inform people about how serious it's getting. In Los Angeles, we're undergoing another surge, as has happened in many parts of the country, and reminding people that at Thanksgiving, it's not appropriate to to gather together. It's difficult as it seems, and as frustrated as we are, it will cause super spreader events, and we'll see increases. And if we go to 4,000 a day, as we've been, or a week, I should say, we'll see more, much more serious shutting down, and nobody wants that to happen from a business perspective. But I think about the polling that's done to try to understand people's willingness to engage in the behaviors, including vaccines. Uh, Well, let's talk about the difference between political versus public policy polling. How is it different? Sure. Well, I would just say, obviously, you know, the work that you are doing right now is super important and there is not anything that's more important to get us through uh, what could be, you know, the next three, six or nine months uh, when hopefully we can get to a point where more, you know, their vaccines are prevalent and, 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 but what we do know is look, you know, in terms of masks and those things, those are effective, they matter. It has become uh, more partisan, which is something that we've measured. And I think uh, when, as we get closer to an inauguration day, and beyond, uh, we'd really be looking for more leadership from everyone, regardless of party. You're seeing this with governors right now, which is gratifying uh, that a lot of Democratic and Republican governors are coming forward and saying, look, I didn't want to do this, but this is, you know, we have to, you know, socially distance, wear a mask. And what we're seeing, so the public policy polling is, you know, is very different in that we can get a read on where public opinion is. Uh, and, and, no, and it tells us something, whether you are saying the number is 50 versus 52 or 54 um, when you know something like 25 or 30 percent of the public has real concerns about getting a vaccine. From a public policy point of view, that tells us that there's a lot of communications work that needs to be done, because if, if that share of the public, again, whether it's, you know, whether your, your poll is, quote, off or there's a margin of error, when you have that num- many people, uh, you're not you're not going to get to the place you need as public health officials to be able to you know get to the level of herd herd immunity and make sure that we can be safe and really reopen our economy. That's right. That, that's what the public policy point is. It's very different and and really really important at this time. Yeah, we need to get to 70, 80 percent of people uh, taking the vaccination uh, for it to get to that herd immunity level. But as as you know, part of the messaging strategy 
is to be able to share information along the way about the success of the vaccines. And so you start to erode some of the cynicism or skepticism. And of course, the more the scientists talk about it and you understand and you hear this 90 and 94 percent accuracy, uh, it certainly is changing people's minds. We find in the in the work that we do that there's a straightforward formula, but the 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 um, the mix varies by people with a specific fact and then anecdotal. Mm -hmm. And the third element of that is having influencers, people that people trust uh, to also support the fact and the anecdotal story. And uh, it's an interesting mix because those influencers, in some cases, could be industry people obviously physicians like Dr. Fauci, and of course, public health officials who've now been raised in terms of visibility. Does your work ever involve dissecting where the message is coming from that's most powerful? You know, it like in a regression analysis to determine what they're aware of that ended, you know, that resulted in a dependent variable like, yes, I will take a vaccine. Do you do that kind of work as well? We, we do we do that kind of work to understand, you know, who are the right messengers? What's the most effective message that really resonates? Uh, yes. And I think that's part of the, what, the challenge here is that uh, to understand a little bit better that, unfortunately, even scientists uh, and doctors have become politicized. And so particularly for the people that are the 20 to 30 percent who have real concerns about taking the vaccine, figuring out who are the right uh, messengers to deliver that message to them is critically important to understand. And we, we, we definitely do that sort of work. The other thing that's really valuable, is, um, as I'm sure you know, is also qualitative research where yes. you can do discussions with people. And really, um, the numbers are helpful, but sometimes it's important to hear where people are coming from behind the numbers, where they're getting information and what, you know, showing them some messengers and really understanding what's effective there as well. So those two two tools, the marriage of the qualitative and the quantitative, whether it's regression or survey research strictly, um, are, are both really useful in, in, in a challenge like this, which is communicating with the public about uh, really trying to get our, our lives back to normal and our economy back to normal as, as quickly and as safely as we can. Jeff, you are so right about qualitative research. It gives you uh, a lot of insight uh, as to what's effective in communicating and what language works. Just watching the people's body language and how they respond uh, gives us great insights. As a matter of fact, the messaging we're doing for vaccines and COVID-19, we are evaluating in qualitative research in the next two weeks. You know, one of the things I will say, and I'm sure you've experienced this, uh, the colleagues you've worked with, is we become so attuned to our own points of view and our own interpretation of the data that we are not necessarily listening to outsiders. And uh, I can sense that sometimes in the work we do with our clients. And in this case, we're investing our own money to do the research because I could tell we were not in tune with what I thought were some of the critical groups. So uh, qualitative work helps with that. Let me, let me ask you on the vaccine intent to take the coronavirus vaccine. As I was saying, this is going to shift as more information and messaging comes into the market. But at this point, who are the most resistant? What what groups are the most resistant to the vaccine? Well, uh, you know, it, as this is the case with uh, with with masks, uh, unfortunately, this has become a political uh, issue. So uh, they are these are people who are more reticent tend to be people who are more skeptical of institutions, more likely to be 
Trump supporting Republicans. There are not, you know, not all Republicans feel this way. This is not a, but, but tend to be a, a little bit lower on this, on the, on the educational, uh, uh, scale. So, you know, non-college, uh, uh, Republicans and, and, and those who side more with Trump than others. And so part of this sort of the disinformation campaign or doubt about, uh, things is, is really unfortunate. And we are seeing that play out in our data. It'll be interesting to see once the, um, Trump, once Trump is out of office, if there's any way he reneges, you know, if he pulls back on the vaccine, uh, you know, I think his wife, she would want her family to get the vaccine. When there is not a political benefit to him, perhaps he will. And and he can argue that he see more evidence, right, that allows him to. Plus, he was hoping for a vaccine. So it'll be interesting to see if more of the forces come together uh, to uh message appropriately to people do you do you expect to see that or and are you you're monitoring this obviously over time yeah well look i think um the other thing here is that i we're really looking for a lot of republican leaders here to to come forward uh it's been very difficult for them uh to do so uh to date but when trump leaves office i think there is an opportunity there uh, to really speak up and stand up for sort of good public policy, again, regardless of politics, this is how we this is how we will get our country back and working. Is if everyone takes the vaccine uh, and we're in a, in a better place uh, health wise. And so uh, there, it's because of the challenges about politicizing even someone like Dr. Fauci. Now, uh, I think Repu- Republican uh, a segment of the Republican Party who are the Trump supporters will be taking cues from. Uh, Republican elected officials, and that's very important going forward. Yeah, that's a good point. They are influencers, and they can help shape people's public opinion. And uh, I think the the one uh, other rationale for supporting the vaccine is for a stronger economy. I mean, you're absolutely right for getting back to normal and people not having the issues they're having with depression and mental health and, of course, joblessness. But the strength of the economy is something everybody wants to see. And we know that dictates so much. And you see that in your data. I know when you people ask are asked, are they better off? Right. The strength of how they feel about their own economic well-being plays a big role in terms of how they vote and how they feel. Totally right. And look, certainty, whether it's with the stock market or with someone at home wondering if they're if they can go travel uh, for, for vacation or if their kids will be in school. Uh, those sorts of things. People need certainty uh, to be able to want to spend and invest and do the th- sorts of things that we're used to doing before uh, March of last year. And so a vaccine, the point is a vaccine will get us there. And that's are very important to communicate. Well, thank you, Jeff. This has been terrific. Very appreciated. And we've learned a lot from uh, the work that Jeff Horwitz does with the Heart Research Company and the uh, poll they do for NBC and the Wall Street Journal. Thank you for listening to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. Our podcasts are available at FraserCommunications.com. As you know, we're a full-service advertising and marketing firm, and you can reach us at FraserCommunications.com to learn more. Have a good week ahead and stay safe. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions.